Welcome to the Mission Matters Podcast, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old-plus mission that is St. Louis U, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. Welcome back. I am thrilled to be back for a brand new semester of Mission Matters, and it is my joy and pleasure to be able to welcome several guests today from the Interdisciplinary Center for Autism Services. I am Virginia Herbers in the Office of Mission and Identity, and I have with me today Diane Richter and a whole team of people who work at the center. So Diane, let's start with you. Um, Hi, my name is Dr. Diane Richter. I am the director of the Interdisciplinary Center for Autism Services located in the School of Education. And so my main background is special ed. Meredith, you want to go next? Sure. I'm Meredith Fair, and I'm one of the speech language pathologists at the center. And it is my pleasure to do diagnostics with all of our folks at the center, as well as some work with some of our charter schools we're partnered with at SLU. Okay, Sarah? Hi, I am Sarah Zimmerman. I am one of two occupational therapists that are on the team. And in addition, I also teach the pediatrics in the Department of Occupational Science and Occupational Therapy at St. Louis University. And Atrial? Yes, I'm Atrial Bobbenhaus. I'm one of the other speech language pathologists at the center. And fun fact, I am a SLU graduate. Oh, very good. Dare I ask what year? 2018. I have been working um, predominantly with the autism community since then. Very good. Well, thanks to all of you for being here. I know we're going to have more content than we've got time. So let's not waste any time. We'll jump right into this. So basically, can we just start with the bare bones of the center? What goes on and what are all the services provided to the community? Starting off, parents might call in or they'll email or it could be a school reaching out for a referral for an evaluation for a possible autism diagnosis. So it usually starts with the intake process. Spend some time either on the phone or scheduling a Zoom with the family about their concerns. You know, why do you think that your child might need an evaluation? What does that entail? Really trying to see too, though, are they in crisis right now? Many times when our families reach out to us, there's a significant amount of stress going on in the family, either due to the child's behaviors or the individual's needs uh, that they're having trouble meeting in the home environment. So that starts the process there. And then I send them an intake packet from the packet being filled out. It gives our team information. And then we start scheduling some in-person appointments. And that's when I'll let either the speech and language pathologist or OTs join in, you know, what happens as far as from there. Sometimes they'll see Meredith and I, or just one of us, but we'll go through, we do language testing. We also do some testing to see about social pragmatic functioning. And then we really try to get to know the families through conversations and through some different rating scales that gives us an idea of how this kiddo or how this client is functioning, not just at home, but in school and across all environments. And then the occupational therapy piece is generally kiddos who might be looking at an autism diagnosis have differences in how they process the world from a sensory perspective. So Uh the OT piece is looking at sensory integration and sensory processing at home and then at the classroom. 
And then we also do the motor testing. So we look at fine motor and gross motor development and testing and see how, how those skills are developing and how they might be in, impacting the individual and how they navigate the world. And something I would also add to that is when we go through that intake information, a lot of it is, you know, the family is giving us some information, but they're also providing us with information that has already been collected on the child, whether they have been tested at school or tested by another private institution. And so we're also reviewing that to make sure we're not repeating any testing, but also just to gather information on what might help if this is a child who's going through a really hard time, maybe there's some hints in there about what might make it easier for them or what doesn't work. Are most of your clients pretty young? Most of our clients, we typically start with the kindergarten age, age five. We recently just picked up and fin uh, finished working with a family of a four-year-old because the wait lists are so long at the other autism centers. So as far as young, actually, the clients that we have just finished up in the last couple of weeks, we've had a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 17-year-old. And it's changed a little bit as far as the intake and with some more high school students since the pandemic. With that virtual learning, a lot of social anxiety, we see not only autism, whether we're ruling in, ruling out, but we're really looking at the whole family unit. We're looking at the whole person. And as Meredith said, we try to find out too from that intake. We have a couple of kiddos coming in on this Friday and they're from a foster care agency siblings. We want to know what are they interested in. So one's interested in Lego. That helps us start to build that rapport. One's interested in Frozen. So knowing some of those things about, well, what do they like? What don't they like? We want to make it a very positive experience. So I would say it's shifted a little bit more. We do have all ages. We do young adults also, but we've seen a big increase in our middle school and high school students. I would also add to this, a lot of our cases are a lot more complex. You know, they didn't have clear indicators when they were toddlers and two and three and four. Our kiddos are more complex and that's why the team really benefits because they're ruling out, is it anxiety? Is it a learning disability? All these variety of things going on and the child might have a variety of diagnosis and kind of figuring out what's going on. And if the child or young adult really does meet the criteria for autism spectrum disorder. In addition, we do look at academic achievement if there are concerns in that area, cognitive, the IQ scores, ADHD, and visiting and observing in the school setting. So that's a really big component that spent a lot of time in different schools, whether it's over at Collinsville High School or Scott Air Force Base, Scott Elementary, or it's a school, a charter school. I'm at it Momentum today, and so was Meredith. So, you know, we do spend a lot of time in the school and trying to support the teachers with some recommendations. I'm curious about parents who might be bringing their children for the first time, wondering if there's a diagnosis. What kind of support, if any, is there provided for the families? I've been doing this for about 15 years, and the process that we go through is probably one of the most, if not the most supportive process I've ever seen. A lot of times, you know, it just kind of depends on the family. This might be their first time hearing that their child has a diagnosis and it's a complete surprise. And other times they've suspected it all along, but either way, we're there with them. Diane, especially Dr. Richter will attend meetings with them at school. She's making extra phone calls with them. They're meeting with our social worker, Mary Ellen Traxel. They're receiving a lot of supports, not only just, you know, here's where you can go next, but Diane is still talking to families that we tested two years ago because they're 
still struggling or they still don't know what to do next. Our job is to make a medical diagnosis of autism, but we also have all worked with school age kids and worked in school. So we're writing our reports and writing everything for the child so that they can take it on to school. And Diane often is the person bridging that gap with the parents and with the school. So I'd say it's extremely supportive. There is no greater advocate in the world than Diane Richter. I I will say that over and over and over. (laughs) Yes, 100% agree. Diane is with the families through the diagnosis versus just here's your diagnosis, take it and go on your way. I think one thing that's really important, even though we have the autism in our title, is that we are really looking again at the whole individual. Is there something else? Not everybody walks away with an autism diagnosis. So what are some of those underlying factors that might have been missed? And then how do we help reach out? What else is in the community? What else is it? not only SLU's community, which there's a lot, because we'll work with psychology, communication disorders, psychiatry, we'll reach out to see what services are there. But what else can we put families in connection with? So just as an example of our little four-year-old that we just finished, and he's, he does not have any language, very little language. He needs a lot more support at school. We know that. We're trying to help the mother, a single parent, as far as advocating under the law. What does that look like? What does he have now? What does he need? We have another family that we just finished up that I'll have to talk to the team about that, you know, dad has, has thanked our team over and over again in an email but where do I start with my 15-year-old daughter now? What's the most important? We don't want to just give them a laundry list, but who should connect? And we are really fortunate to be able to collaborate with Miriam School. We also have a school psychologist, Carly West, Amy Hossman, another occupational therapist on the team, and Mary Allen, where we're looking at insurances as far as follow-up with a therapist, what might work, what might not work. I'm going to pivot for a minute because as I listen to all the things you're doing and all the services you're providing and and really all the care that is being offered to both children and families and the community at large, you aren't using mission language, but SLU's mission written all over this. I might invite you to think about how does the work that you do day in and day out with these folks How does that actually create or embody the mission that we say is SLU? One thing that I think of is that that pursuit of truth piece. And when we get our clients and we we go through this exhaustive process with so much background information and the assessments, we're really giving them some answers to some things that they might have suspected or had no idea that could be a possibility for their child, you know, even something saying, Hey, you know, your kiddo does really well when he has visuals to support him. Let's look at what that simple quote unquote change could make in how he is able to get his classwork done or participate in the school environment. That, that piece of truth that comes from the data and the analytics that we do And then being able to kind of transcribe that into some real world practical results and answers for these parents is very important. And one of the things that I enjoy so much about what we do. I would say the people foreign with others is it goes with this 100% all the time because we're not just 
giving them a diagnosis. We're not just the experts who are saying, oh, they have delays in speech. Oh, yes, they have the diagnosis of autism. Now go on your way. Really walking with the parents and, or the individuals, depending on their age, walking with them through the diagnosis and what, what are the strengths that this individual has and how do we magnify on those strengths to help them move along? Where are some areas that there are gaps and we can help support them? So really being you know, for and with them on this very tough journey, very tough diagnosis. And the holisticness of the evaluation is so close to the mission of really not just checking a few boxes, but really understanding people where they are and how to support them going forward. Care of the whole person. Yes, absolutely. Care of the whole person, the whole family unit, all of those things. Right. And there are so many times that we, we're not just like a nine to five place. We are open part-time financially, but as far as when we meet with families through the feedback meetings, we're doing many of them from 6.30 to 8 in the evening. And we're open one or two Saturdays a month so families don't have to take off work, that it's a good time they can really take in this information. But many times it's really very emotional for our families. And we are all feeling that emotions. Then what else do we do next? So we've got Atril and Meredith trying to think about what else can we do for our little four-year-old who's not talking in their discipline. We have Sarah and Amy that are thinking about, okay, we have somebody that's interested in therapeutic horsemanship, but they're all full. Where else can we go? Our other occupational therapists are looking at how do we desensitize a high school student with autism so we can wear goggles and be able to take a welding class or automotive classes. So we're constantly looking at that post-secondary also as far as how do we help them. When you look at our mission statement, it's looking at the whole person, but it's a lot of service and a lot of service. We're here to help families and we want to be able to help as many as we can. Going back to why the center was even kind of developed, it was developed out of a need. So we know that the diagnosis of autism is increasing and lots of families were on huge long wait lists or the costs for private were so extreme. And so Diane recognized the need for a team to help support these families and families that might not have less, less means to pay for it socioeconomically from areas, not just the St. Louis city and county, but across the river in Illinois. So how do we reach these populations that are not getting the diagnosis that need more support, which really speaks to everything of the Jesuit, all of the Jesuit mission. Seeing something that's necessary and just responding in ways that are caring. Yes. As you're all talking, the expression, it takes a village, it just keeps coming to mind what each different member of the team brings is so necessary, but also really works to build up not just an individual child or client and not just that client's family, but also the entire community around the family. So in order to do that, it takes a whole community to do that. So the strength of your community internally is really critical. Would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And something else that it makes me think about too, when I think about the community, because we are so often working with children or young adults and their families, often they're outside therapists, but we're also walking into the schools. So Diane and I, the school where she is today, Momentum Academy in the city, we have worked there in and out for the past couple of years, you know, we'll walk into a classroom and see how can we help support the student in the classroom? How can we talk to the teacher? How can we help the teacher alter the curriculum or alter the environment so that this child can access the curriculum better? I think it's really important. We started off 
and we want to make sure we are a teaching center. So we have graduate students. Uh, I'll let them speak to the, the students that have worked in their disciplines. But this semester, I was so fortunate to have a first year school of medical student that was interested in doing her elective in the center. And so she's finished that up. I have Another student, that graduate student that's in dietetics and nutrition, she came on Saturday to do some observations with our clients, and she's working on a capstone to how do we take a look at expanding nutritional values for many individuals on the autism spectrum that have very specific food choices. So she's looking at that. So I, I think that's, and our own, our elementary ed students and special ed students. But Sarah, if you could speak a little bit about OT. Yes, the center is so welcoming to having whatever students want to kind of enhance their learning experience on campus. So occupational therapy, the largest practice area in pediatrics is our clientele with autism. So how do we help students gain confidence in that? So every semester, uh, I have an occupational therapy student who works with me and they come and they work with us in the clinic and they help do the evaluations. They're so helpful because they'll engage with the child while I'm scoring or things like that. So they get this firsthand experience of the team at the Autism Diagnostic Center, but also what does a child with autism look like? How do I do an assessment in a very supported environment? And then in addition to the Diagnostic Center in the summer, we run an autism camp on SUS campus for individuals with autism. And so many of the graduate students will come and then assist in the camp. And it's a therapeutic camp. So it's not just a, a day camp, but we have, we're working with speech and we're working with OT and we're trying to develop out activities for this group that it's hard for families to find camps and summer programming for kiddos with autism where they really feel that their child is safe and supported uh, if the child is a child who runs or, you know, elopes or things like that. So our graduate students are a huge, huge help in that because then each of our campers generally gets it has a one-on-one -on -one graduate students across speech and OT and at the education program that assists with that camp. That's amazing. I didn't know that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Atro and, and Meredith have also worked consistently with our graduate students that are placed from SLU into the Autism Center too. So do either one of you want to speak to that experience? I think one of the most important parts of being a speech pathologist is diagnostics. And unfortunately, in a lot of positions where you start, you're kind of thrown into it because there's so many other things that you're trying to do on top of it. You're trying to be the day-to-day -day therapist. You're trying to be a part of the IEP team. And so it's really important that we take the time and work with the graduate students. And we've been so lucky to have so many wonderful graduate students come work with us. Here is the basic rundown for how diagnostics work. Here's how you give a standardized test. Here's what it looks like. Here's what you should be looking for. They have practice writing reports. And so it's just another way to do like a side-by-side hands-on learning process with a ton of support, like Sarah said, because it is so scary to be embarking on these things on your own. My graduate student last semester came to me and was just so nervous on the first day. And she said, I just don't know how I feel, you know, you're going to put me in a room and, and have me test and then just go home and write a report today. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to teach you and you're going to observe me and we're going to do it together. I'm not going to leave you hanging. And it's a handholding process. And, you know, we're here to support students, whether they be the ones that we're testing or the ones that we're teaching. So it's been a really rewarding experience and hopefully for them. So to answer yeah. your question from a few minutes ago. That's the mission. <laughs> <laughs> I I think with with the diagnostics, like there is much more of a, a teaching 
aspect, like we're going to do it with you. We're not just going to show you how to do it. You do it. We're not just going to tell you how to do it, but we're actually going to go through and collaborate on it. And also when we get that data and we figure out how to do this stuff, you know, quote unquote, buy the book and get the numbers out. But like, what does that actually mean when you get the numbers out and they fall within this category? What kind of realistic recommendations can you make? And then to step back a second or two, when you're testing kiddos, it doesn't matter where they fall. You have to have strategies to be able to build rapport with a kiddo really quickly to get them to work with you. And so some of that is a lot of trial and error, even, you know, years into the game, sometimes a kid will throw us for a loop and we really have to brainstorm or try to figure out a way to connect with this kiddo to get through some of this testing and also to make it fun because, you know, some of this can be a little bit dry, but how do we still have a little bit of fun and keep them engaged with us? Cause I think that shows their truest abilities rather than just sitting and saying, yes, answer is a B or C. So that that's one thing that I enjoy about working with the grad students is like, Hey, you can watch me struggle a little bit because Timmy came in and whoa, I was not expecting all those behaviors, but here's how we work through it. Right. So that's what I enjoy too. Okay. So let me just throw this out by way of coming up with a final word. If you had to offer an example or a story or a little snapshot of what are the, either the best parts of your job or the things that are the most encouraging, most inspiring, most touching, most energizing to you. I love it when kids say they want to come back and see us next week. That is the best. Like Diane said, we will look into what some of their special interests are. So if a kiddo likes Minecraft, we'll definitely have some Minecraft toys in the prize bin. Or if he needs a little bit of help and motivation getting through the assessment, we might have some Minecraft-themed items that keep them on track and keep them motivated. So that's one thing that that I love is really getting to know them and they want to come back and see me. And that is that is one of the highest praises coming from a kiddo. I would say the diagnostic piece is hard. And so what we do is we go through the, all of the testing and then after the testing, pull together the report. And then we have a Zoom call with the families where everybody goes through their results. And those are really hard results to hear very often because you're really looking at a an individual's kind of weaknesses in order to get to the diagnosis often. But when you have a family that is almost relieved with that, they actually have a little bit of an answer of what's going on and a little bit of guidance then of where to go next. Cause a lot of our families have been struggling for just a really long time and not really knowing exactly what's going on. So once they can kind of hear these hard things from people that are very caring and compassionate and in a loving manner and give a little bit more insight on how to better support their their child and how to move forward is so rewarding. I would agree with all of that. I think it's an extremely rewarding process and it's so wonderful to also think outside of my own lens. You know, I tend to come at everything with a speech and language approach and just seeing how Sarah interprets things and how Mary Ellen will sit down and get background information from the family really adds to the more global view of the child instead of my slice. But also I still remember we had a family that we worked with maybe last year or the year before. um, And it was a young woman and her mother, and they had just been hearing for years. Oh, you know, your student is fine. She just is a little quirky. Um, And then we were finally able to pull it all together and say, 
this is a person who does have autism and there are so many strategies out there and so many different ways that she can access the world that has been kind of closed off to her. And the mom was so teary and she turned to her daughter and said, all this time we've been trying to change you and we don't need to change you. You don't have to change. We need to change how you access the world. And it was so cool just to be able to finally, you know, see a family get to put all of this together and know that this isn't about changing you. And we're not here to give you a diagnosis so that we can tell you that you've been doing everything wrong. We're doing this so that the families can get therapies and get strategies and get support to help open things up. And it was so cool to have that mom, you know, put all that together. Well said. Well, these experiences, this has been a journey for me. This is our fifth year <clears throat> open. And I have to say, when you go back to the mission of SLU and service, this originated from an internal SLU Grow grant written by a previous professor. And, you know, through Dean Ritter, being able to do a needs assess- assessment and seeing where is the need in the community to revitalize this. And it's been so rewarding to work with such a great group of people and really be able to bridge just the connection between schools and the university and support families along the way. And again, those family connections, when we receive emails, which we do all the time, or thanking us over a period of time, like, what else do we need? Like, we want them to know, I think Adriel had said at the other meeting, don't hesitate to reach out. And we're always saying that, don't hesitate to reach out. And if you have questions about a specific part of the evaluation after you have the report in front of you, keep saying, we're here for you. You know, Diane might be the contact, but if you need to speak with Sarah or Amy or Atro or Meredith, whoever, we'll do that for you. And we do. And so there's follow-up meetings many evenings. So it's very, very rewarding. The other thing is that, you know, we rely on our donors uh, to help support and keep us going as well as the university itself. And I'm just so grateful to any of our donors that have made gifts to the Autism Center to keep us going so that we can help these families that so desperately need us. And we'll put a little plug in there if anybody's listening and has a special pet project for sure that you can accept that and put that money to good use. Well, what I'm hearing from each of you, Atril, I'm hearing you talk about what it means to build relationship and Sarah about the ability to offer support and companionship, Meredith, the lens of accepting people and actually being able to provide help that is so desperately needed, even if not recognized. And of course, Diane, you're talking about community, community building, not just with your team, which is an incredible thing to witness, even right here in this podcast, but also team building between SLU and school and communities and families. And all of that is the mission alive and well. So from where I sit, just being able to hear these stories and amplify them a little bit, just a big thank you for all you do, for the hearts with which you do the work. And in particular, just now for taking the time to be with us on this podcast. So thank you all very, very much. Thanks for having having us. And for all of you listening, thank you for joining us. And please continue to tune in to Mission Matters, where we highlight the good work being done here in the SLU community, adding to the 500 plus year legacy of Jesuit education. Until next time, let's join together as a community, walking a pilgrim's path, following in the footsteps of St. Ignatius in our shared mission. You can engage the mission intentionally here at SLU 
and you can encounter it randomly. But good luck graduating without ever touching it in some way. God bless everyone.